And uh, in that way, the message that Chris is going to share with us on ministry is, uh, is uh, really something. Each of us has a part to play. As Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 to 16 tells us, so if you've got your Bibles, Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Thank you, Chris. Carol, and uh, if you keep your Bibles open there, um, we're in uh, week three of a four-part series, and uh, we've actually been taking a, often a bit of a whirlwind tour through the Bible, looking at different passages of Scripture for the particular theme we're looking at. Uh, this morning, we're just going to be looking at this one passage, just these few verses. And uh, you may remember we've looked at um, the idea of uh, sort of revisiting what it means to be uh, the church, what it means to be a local church. We've looked at uh, authority in the church and outside of the church and how that, how that works, um, and uh, last Sunday we looked at um, our identity as, as a church and part of that we looked at, our, in particular, our Baptist identity, you know, our particular expression of church, our particular tradition um, of church and what that might mean. And uh, there has been uh, some really significant feedback on that from last Sunday and it was really encouraging. Um, I often feel like, you know, we don't want to harbour on about this, but um, I think it's really important. We only look at it every couple of years as specific themes, and we haven't done it for about three or four. And so um, while some of it to some of us may seem all that uh, a little bit overly familiar, it was encouraging to hear from a number of people uh, who, were, who, were, um, who hadn't heard that kind of uh, take or understanding on, on why we do what we do as, as Baptist believers and our identity more broadly as the body of Christ. So um, after this morning, we're going to be looking at ministry, serving one another, what that means, ministry within the church or amongst the church. And then we'll have a couple of weeks break. Uh, Martin Garcia is coming next Sunday. Um, and uh, Evan's going to be preaching the Sunday after. So uh, we will finish off at some point um, by looking at mission. And uh, we've got a few things um, to look forward to, not only is Martin coming, but in a few Sundays after that on the 20th, couple of Sundays after that, on the 20th of March, um, Mal Watts is the director of SIM, and he's going to be coming here and speaking to us too about mission. So it ties in really well, and just a reminder that that missions night, the dessert night happening on the 19th, which is a Saturday from 7 to 9, um, we'd encourage you to, you do need to register your interest, so if you'd like to get along to that, it'll be great. We haven't done one of those for a number of years, and it'll be um, particularly good to be able to live stream with the Tingles, Matt and Alyssa, and hear from them uh, as they serve with SIM in Thailand. 
But uh, our identity, as we saw last Sunday, I just want to perhaps link a little bit from last Sunday before we get into ministry this morning uh, as a theme. But uh, our identity um, is very much about mission and ministry as, as a Baptist church in particular. In fact, it should be the case for any church, but uh, certainly and particularly for Baptist churches. Um, we've actually had a long and enduring commitment um, to both ministry and to mission in the world, uh, which has grown uh, our movement of churches. And uh, the Baptist family churches uh, more broadly, not just ours in New South Wales here or in Australia, but globally, uh, the Baptist movement, you can sort of tie back to around 410 uh, 410, sorry, um, 1610. So it makes them about 412 years old. And so I thought it'd be really helpful for us just to continue on from last week as we come into this theme, just to have a visual look at how the Baptist movement has grown, how our local churches has grown through the ministry and mission of it. And uh, we're going to look at that by a video, particularly in our context here in Australia. So uh, this sort of starts from about 1830 right up to now. So um, if, you're, you know, if you're a little bit older than Evan, um, you might find it's a, little bit, it's a lot of information and it's what the cool kids do these days. So we'll buckle up and have a look. Thank you. This is the story of the travels of the Australian Baptist movement. It is a good story. It begins with the early settlers and Baptist preachers who came from English Baptist churches. At once, they pointed to Christ and challenged the oppressive convict system and treatment of the original custodians of this land. It wasn't long before the first farming communities and the gold rush miners experienced the gospel as deed and as word. It created a platform for miners and those on the land to know Jesus and form other churches. We were now gaining momentum. An overseas mission society was formed as five women set off to modern-day Bangladesh. In doing so, they set in motion what now has become Global Interaction, whose heart's desire is to empower communities to develop their own distinctive ways of following Jesus. They now serve across the Pacific, Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. And by the beginning of the 20th century, it was full steam ahead as the states had established Baptist unions or associations and were forming colleges. Fresh biblical studies motivated followers to move into business and political circles, to work and bear witness. Before and after World War I, veterans, widows and others on a trail of struggle found refuge in missions like that of West End Baptist. And from there, the foundations were laid for our Baptist care organisations. The movement was now gathering speed. People from across all of society were coming on board. A central coordinating network, the Baptist Union of Australia, was established by the state associations to empower and sustain mission. This is known today as Australian Baptist Ministries. The Great Depression and World War II couldn't slow us. Baptist care organisations in partnership with local churches opened homes for the elderly. The station might have seemed full with the post-war influx of migrants, the baby boom and the new sprawling suburbia. But our response was, trust God and introduce a new set of initiatives right for the time. Baptists were integral to the Billy Graham Crusades and in the revivalist atmosphere that followed, numbers swelled as many people became followers of Jesus and joined the movement. Our churches were now stoked and primed and ministries like Crossover, in partnership with state associations, worked alongside churches to share Jesus in more diverse communities. ABM, working with the states, continued to develop national ministries in education, church health and church planting, with a special emphasis among the first Australians in Central Australia. 
The D-dimension of the movement deepened with the founding of Baptist World Aid. The call to be love and end poverty drove our action. Children and communities the world over witnessed the light of the Christ in us. And more recently, as the gap has grown between rich and poor, our Baptist care agencies have become some of Australia's leading care providers, and Baptist Insurance and Baptist Financial Services provide invaluable support to the mission of the local church, the state associations and the whole movement. Specific ministries among women, children, youth and young adults emerged. A Just Cause was founded to equip the church to respond to issues of justice. Australian Baptist Ministries now works in collaboration with the states and agencies to facilitate the network connecting the dots of the various parts as we seek to be like Jesus. We are diverse, Jesus-centered and mission-shaped. The tracks of our journey spread far and wide, but the journey continues. Now it remains for you and I to add to this great story as we move forward together. It's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting to see something of what uh, has been our heritage and uh, what has been our history in our own part of the world. Let's pray as we come to the theme of ministry. Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you that you've called us into it. Father, we thank you um, for that beautiful metaphor which we'll look at more deeply this morning of being a body, the body of Jesus Christ. We acknowledge he is the head of the church and, uh, and so we thank you uh, for his presence by your spirit amongst us as we gather this morning. Um, expound this word, this teaching, your word, through the Apostle Paul in our hearts and our minds, and may that translate into action in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I guess what's behind the idea of ministry in the church or ministry amongst the church is what is the purpose of ministry and, uh, and who does it? And uh, for some reason, there seems to be, and often is, a lot of confusion or perhaps uncertainty, um, maybe misunderstanding about what ministry is, about who does it, and what the goal of it is supposed to be. Um, I hear people often, uh, not just in our church, but in other contexts, uh, talk about perhaps others they know in churches, or churches they were once a part of, or perhaps a church they used to be a part of, and they've heard about or looked online, particularly over the last past couple of years, and seen them doing something, and they'll say, have you heard about so-and-so church, or have you heard about such-and-such's church, or um, they've got a, a, a huge ministry going on down there, or they're doing some, some wonderful things down there. Um, and then the rest of the sentence might go something like this, you know, their pastor, he's awesome, or, or she's wonderful, um, they visit everyone all the time, constantly, always available, 24-7. Um, or maybe this, that church's music and their morning tea is just so professional and delicious. Um, it, it, it just feels so modern and so cool. In fact, that church breaks in the middle of their service and has morning tea halfway through. So we're all full and we've had our coffee before we have to sit through and endure the sermon. It's just awesome. Why aren't we doing that? We do that, by the way, in church at five. Don't we, Evan? Who's Evan? Yeah, there he is. Yeah, that's right. It was Evan's idea. So, but it's really cool. It's working. Anyway, you know, those sort of, those sort of sayings, those sort of statements, um, they tragically reveal something. They reveal that we're really missing the point in understanding what ministry is and understanding what the purpose of ministry is. Um, I've had other comments like, you know, this church sponsors such and such number of children and, and, and 
we've done that as a church here too, and I've often heard feedback on the other side where someone's raving about our church sponsoring so many children through compassion, and I go, oh, it works the other way too. I hope people realise it's more than just that. Um, I got this one once from a, um, a friend's church in Sydney. They said, oh, they do this ripping carol service. It's just the most amazing service. They have live camels. They have a real biblical manger. And even last year, we had a real live baby that had just been born in the manger. We had a live, our own very own baby Jesus. And again, I just think, okay, that's, that's great. But what I love about the Bible, what I love about God's word and why we rely on it and use it as our point of reference is how often it addresses really clearly and directly uh, much of our confusion or it looks to clarify it or our misgivings, our misunderstandings. They can be clarified if we were to just read it <laughs> and just take it on board and to think deeply about it. And the letter to the Ephesians is one example of that. It's a full and rich letter. And I often said this before, we went through Ephesians last year together, so some of this may be familiar. It's, it's a wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And uh, it's one of the most powerful revelations as to the purpose of church and our identity, which we heard about last Sunday. Uh, have a look, just to recap from verses 11 to 13 of chapter 4. Um, it's up on the screen, it's in your Bible. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There it is. That sounds to me like the purpose, the, the perfect purpose statement for church, for any church. I don't understand why the confusion and misgivings about the point and purpose of what we're about, of, of, of ministry in a local church. Right here, Paul has outlined it. Uh, he's, even, he's, he's not only put the purpose, he's put the goal for the local church succinctly and clearly. The goal for ministry amongst ourselves within the church, according to these verses, is maturity. That's the goal, to be a mature people of God. And Paul gives us a number of examples here. Uh, but the overarching theme is that we become a church that is mature until we grow up into him who is the head that is Christ Jesus, verse 15, part B. Just have a look at the images that he uses. Uh, verses 12 and 13, he uses the image of a mature person and then he compares it in verse 14 with an immature person, right? An infant, uh, obviously one who's not yet mature. Um, just to recap, Ephesians uh, 4 verse 14, it says there, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. I love the way you read that, Carol. Uh, I didn't get it quite as... That was a great way of... It really drove home, didn't it? The, the cunning and craftiness of, uh, of people in their deception. The Apostle Paul here, he's a master, you know, at mixing metaphors. He does it brilliantly in just a couple of verses. Have a look at the difference there. Not only does he uh, talk about infants and maturity or an implication, immaturity, but he offers us this picture. Suddenly we're in the ocean with a boat, right, in the middle of a storm perhaps, and there it is being tossed and turned every which direction at the whim of the wind, wherever it seeks to blow. And then what does he do? Well, the very next verse, verse 16 he switches back to the picture, to the picture of a body uh, that is growing up with every part of that body working and doing its part. 
So instead of being immature infants and rudderless boats getting tossed around on the ocean, we're reminded that as the church, we are actually all individual parts of the one body joined together, all doing what they're designed and purposed to do, supporting each other and growing the body up into maturity. It's really important to remember this. Okay, many of us, when we think about the body and the individual parts, because of our culture and what we've been raised with all ourselves, we think instantly about ourselves. I've got to become a more mature person. I've got to do this. I've got to... That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's writing about the maturity that we together as the church attain. There's no good being an individual anything, really. That's not part of a body, right? As Paul says elsewhere in, in, in uh, Corinthians, he talks about, you know, if one part separates and says, oh, I'm more important than another because, you know, it's, it doesn't work. The body doesn't work like that. It functions together. So let's think about it in terms of all of us together. Not just, oh, well, I'm a mature Christian or I've worked hard at being a mature Christian. That doesn't really matter. Um, it's important. But what's more important is that we are mature together and that we're unified and that we're healthy as a functioning body. It's important as we think about that image in verse 13 that we're growing up into him who is the head, that is Christ. That's Paul's hope, right? Um, his hope is that the body, the church, will grow and mature so that it might, might take on the same qualities as the head. Right? You can't disconnect the head from its body. It doesn't work. Um, the body just doesn't function. It needs the head and the head is what determines and dictates and decides, doesn't it? How the body works and how the body functions and what it does. The body ought to be connected as part of the head and for us we the body the head is jesus christ well what does that look like practically paul says that this will mean um, being truthful and loving which is one of those balancing acts right being truthful and loving speaking the truth in love you know so many times we are on either side and that's probably describes most schisms in churches there are those who are who sort of just go talk about the truth and the doctrine and they want to hammer those that disagree with them and don't get on board and try and make other converts to get on board and then there's those that it's um love and we adopt all sorts of pagan secular slogans like love is love and meaningless drivel like that and we start talking god is love and love is god have you heard that one god is love and love is god bah! the first half's right the second half is ridiculous love isn't god god is love full stop you want to know what love is get to know god the one who is love and who created it it's an aside but as you can see here um, we try all sorts of things to try and figure out who we are. And we realise, according to verse 14, that it won't come easy to us, this idea of maturity, this idea of growing up. And, we, and we've, it's difficult to get that balance between truth and love, about being truthful and being loving. It's going to be difficult and challenging. There are going to be winds of teaching, for starters, that come along and blow us off course. Um, there's going to be cunning and crafty people who actually scheme intentionally to persuade us of lies and untruths about God. And often the cleverness is this, that it's often half-truths. Or even worse, extreme exaggerations of part-truths. And so knowing and believing the gospel, the truth that God has revealed to us, is really important if we're going to grow into being the mature body that reflects the qualities of the head, the Lord Jesus. And so it's very important to hold on to them and to reflect on them and to teach them and to continue raising them and uh, reflecting on them together as we do as a local church. 
I don't know if you know Christians um, who are like that, and it's not really good to think about other people because we're supposed to think about ourselves in terms of how we're going to respond to God's word. Maybe you're this sort of person, I don't know. But you know the kinds of brothers and sisters, um, they seem to hear and hear and hear. Um, they, they even read and read and read, but they never seem to really grow in, in, in maturity in terms of their, their relationship with the church, right, with the body. Um, and some of them are really, they can be really successful leaders too in the church. Uh, they've perfected their own maturity, their own growth and so on and so forth, but they've never really made that connection of how that lives out in the body of Christ. Um, there are others that just keep believing anything that comes their way. They keep looking for new teaching, something, something new, something exciting, something that takes their fancy and they're, they're off here and off there and and the Apostle Paul's going, you're just like a boat being tossed to and fro. You've got no, you're rudderless. You've got no anchor. There's no, what are you really about? You know, if you could just look at your life over a few years, you'd go, at one stage you were believing this, the next week you thought that, and then a month later you're saying, there's nothing consistent here. What, who are you? They never seem to grasp the full power, the full glory of God who's revealed himself through the gospel of Jesus. Well, we don't want to be like that. And thankfully, for the most part, I, I love the body of Christ that we're a part of here. It's far from perfect. There is no perfect church. But I do love the fact that over many years, this church has worked hard and continues to, by the grace of God, to do that, to get that balancing act right between truth and love. We, we don't want to be those who get so easily caught up and drifting off into all sorts of weird and wonderful, fanciful things until the next fad comes along. So Paul the Apostle here, he goes to great lengths, in fact, in the first half of Ephesians, as you may know, it's broken up very neatly. The first three chapters, it's all about the truth. It's all about this, what he calls the mystery of Christ. The mystery that was hidden for ages has now been revealed. Let me explain it to you, and he outlines it in those three chapters, and it's massive, and it's huge, and it's, and it's clear. So we've got no excuse, you know. You can spend a lifetime plumbing the depths of just those three chapters. You don't need something new from someone who thinks that they've read something or God's spoken to them somehow. It, it's right here. They should be reading the same thing with us together as the global body of Christ. And Paul says, as mature Christians, we'll experience unity when we're all on the same page and we'll have love for one another. And the truth of the gospel will be shared and expressed, not in anger or frustration or human outbursts or even in pious self-righteousness, but in love for one another. So let me encourage you, if you find a church that holds to truth and is unified in speaking the truth in love, and they're working hard, they're aware of, not getting it right all the time, but working hard at that balance, then you found a church that's well on its way to maturity. Well, how do we reach maturity? How do we get there? Well, for some reason, we also do a pretty good job at coming up with all kinds of different theories as to how to get there, as to how a church should grow and how a church should mature. Um, just go to Kurong and you'll see uh, on bookshelves there and online um, hundreds of books, a plethora of books and writings, and you can go to all kinds of seminars uh, that outline methods and models and programs, and uh, they're written by often um, uh, strong personalities or gifted celebrities and... and um, I want to say none of them are necessarily wrong in and of themselves. I read some of them. Um, but the church won't become what Paul describes and what God desires by reading just the latest bestseller or going to some program or rolling out some new program. It's much deeper than that. And, and Paul 
tells us just three things that we need. In fact, three things we've been given to be a mature church in ministry as we serve one another. The first thing is this. It's really basic. It's fairly obvious. We need gifts from our ascended Christ. It's an interesting title, isn't it? Our ascended Christ. What am I talking about here? The verses before our Bible reading this morning, and you'll see them in your Bible, there's some, uh, the Apostle Paul quotes in verse 8 of chapter 4 in Ephesians. He quotes from the Psalms. He quotes from Psalm 68, verse 18, which is a reference to King Jesus. And this is what he says as he uses that quote from Psalm 68. He says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. So what what does this mean? We looked at this last year. I don't think everyone had yet quite fully returned from uh, isolation. Um, And it's perhaps not the most relevant or fitting illustration given our situation at the moment in the world. Um, But nonetheless, think about this in Old Testament terms, a very different world to a New Testament world with God's kingdom in it. But when a king was victorious in battle, he would plunder the opposing army, and and, and when he'd returned victorious to his own people, he would bring all the spoils of that plunder, and he would give them out as gifts to his people. It was like the ticker tape parade. That's where they started, basically. That's where it was invented. It was this idea of warriors coming back, kings coming back, and giving the plunders and the spoils to their people who cheered. The victorious king shares the spoils of victory with his subjects. And what Paul's getting at here is that Jesus, who is our king, a very different king to a warmongering king, but a king nonetheless, who came to earth and he won victory. And he won victory over the root cause that leads to all sorts of wars and arrogant kings, and that is of sin and evil and and man's raw desire to go it alone and rule the world. And he did that by his death on the cross. And, and when you think about it, we, how is that a victory? You know, we skim over it as Christians. Oh, Jesus got a victory on the cross. Yeah, hang on a minute, that's not a victory. There's no one in their right mind that would see that as a victory. Okay? He died at the hands of his enemies. They put him to death. But Jesus, in doing that, defeated those enemies. And he won a powerful victory on the third day when he rose from the dead. Victorious. He's the only one that's ever done it. His resurrection proved himself to be victorious over the powers of death, sin and evil. And and this resurrected, living and victorious King Jesus now uh, has returned from that victory and he's giving gifts to his people. That's what Paul's getting at here in in chapter 4, verse 8, quoting Psalm 68. And what are those gifts? Well, the previous verse in verse 7 tells us, the previous verse to verse 8, it says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The cross was the most remarkable act of grace in this world. It is the gift of grace. And as we'll see, Paul's not talking about grace to become a Christian, which is what we also need, God's mercy on us as we come to faith in Jesus. He's talking about the grace to minister amongst his church, literally to serve one another as the church. Notice it says, to each one of us, to every single person within the church, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why there's no room for envy or jealousy of others who seem to be um, better at ministry or, or, or have a higher profile in ministry. Um, everyone's using their gifts um, in, in, according to the apportion of what Christ has given them, the grace that Christ has apportioned to them, no room for. He said, "Thank you, God. This is what I've. This is the grace I've been given, and I, and I've got to. And and to much who's been given, right? Much is required, um, in response. 
Every single person is the point. Every single person within the church has received the grace of serving his church. And this is where it all begins, with the victory of Jesus on the cross. And the spoils of that victory are what he's given each of us. It begins right there. Well, just pause and think about that for a moment. I can tell you, a lot of the stuff I've read about ministry in the church often has a troubling problem, at least for me. And engaging in this passage again helps me realise what it is. I remember it's summarised in one particular title. It was a title of a book or a title of a conference. I can't remember which one, probably a conference. And it was this, the future of the church is up to you. The future of the church is up to you. And I read it and just went, oh, Lord, please, no. The future of the church doesn't want to be up to me and it certainly doesn't want to be up to the us's that I know, my, you know, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't want to be up to any of us. And if that's the case, the church is doomed, Right? And we've seen churches doomed when we've fallen for that lie. It's never sat right with me. And I think, why do we go for these taglines? I don't get it. You know, the future of the church is up to us. I know what's behind. I get the motivation. I can say that this morning, right? I can say, you know, unless we all pull together and get on and do ministry, right, this church will just continue to shrink and we will not grow. I could say all that. And it's up to you. But that's missing the point. I, I dare not... Um, be abusive in leadership to say that to us because this is Christ's church it's not my church and, and, and it's not about us this is about the victory that Jesus won at the cross and when he did that he paved the way um, to his triumph in heaven and this is where he rules and reigns over all things including the church so it's what Ephesians goes on to say the future of the church is up to him because the church belongs to him we are his body and that is really good news. It takes the pressure off. It frees us up to say, yeah, we've been called into this partnership with him because that's my next point. It still involves us, right? We're not off the hook. It still involves us. But foundationally, fundamentally, first of first importance, Jesus is the one to whom the church belongs. And the future of it and its health is up to him in partnership with us, us uh, allowing him to work through us. I don't know if you ever wonder... Um, if you've ever been someone that does wonder what can they do in ministry and, 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 and if what you are doing doesn't make any difference. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered, you know, I don't know, this is... But I, I know particularly this might have been the case for a number of us over the past couple of years is like your ministry just doesn't happen, right? Ministry's with people and suddenly the people aren't there or we're not allowed to meet or we have to think of different ways and we think, um, you know, this is just... What's the point of this? I, I got pretty bogged down in the midst of that myself. I think I, I shared it with a couple of you. Just thought, how do you shepherd a church that you can't see, that you can't connect with, beyond the horizons? Phone and text messages, you know, very limited, aren't they? We need gifts from our ascended Christ and we have them. That's the point of this first point. Because God gives us the grace so that then we serve one another. So let me encourage you, it doesn't matter what it is that you do, it doesn't matter how small you might think it is, if you're doing this in response to the gift that God has given you, the grace that he's apportioned to you, then you are doing a most profoundly wonderful thing for his, for his body and in his body. And I encourage you to keep doing it. Well, the second point is not only do we have those gifts, but we need Christian leaders who equip us. And this is going to seem a little self-serving, uh, being one, but don't shoot the messenger. Um, 
there are a number of people who have said and do say, and some books have been written, uh, that maybe the church doesn't actually need leaders. You know, we've got the structure wrong. We, we shouldn't have. We fell into all sorts of trouble when we started paying them, uh, and you know, or looking to them. And yes, there is obviously a delicate balance there. In fact, I do kind of get where those sort of writers and thinkers are coming from, uh, because there are a lot of examples of churches that have been um, uh, corrupted or ruined by church leaders who have gotten in the way. But Paul says that Christian leaders are necessary, right at the start. And more than that, he says that they are given to the church directly by Jesus himself and that they are the gifts. They are part of the gifts that he gifts the church with. Remember from um, earlier on, verses 11 to 12, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. Well, in there, we've got this list of of four, some people think five different roles within the church. There's a little bit of debate about whether a pastor-teacher was meant to be the one in the same role. It certainly seems to be um, in in last several centuries in our context. Um, but either way, this list is not exhaustive, and yet it is a list of Christian leadership, certainly in Paul's day at least. And so the apostles and the prophets, they're the ones that had this foundational role Um, in receiving and proclaiming the mystery of Jesus, the beautiful mystery that Paul calls, is now being revealed. Evangelists were kind of like, perhaps what we might think of today as um, church planters. Uh, Martin Garcia from Word of Life, who's coming next Sunday to preach, is a a gift to the church because he's an evangelist, right? So he doesn't have the gift of evangelism, although he's certainly got that, um, but he is an evangelist is the gift to the church, and that's why we're inviting him here, that's why he goes to other churches, because he has a a gift um, to to be able to to evangelise. He's an evangelist. Now, these are people, uh, certainly in Paul's day and and, and even today, are the ones who are empowered to proclaim the gospel in such a way that it's clear and it's convincing and it brings about conviction in people's life. So they come to faith in Jesus as their Lord. Billy Graham, who was alluded to in our video earlier, uh, was another gifted evangelist. I just thought as I saw it, what an amazing gift he was to the broader church show of hands, how many people here can say they came to faith or were strengthened in their faith by a Billy Graham crusade? Yeah, it's getting smaller and smaller, but it's still a massively significant number. I, um, was, I met with Roy Meredith, recently new to our church, um, during the week, and uh, he said the same thing. And I instantly went, oh, that wasn't in the 50s. And he goes, no, it was 1979. So he's a little younger, but that's where he made a significant commitment to faith, at a Billy Graham crusade. There's another evangelist's. Well, who are pastors and teachers? And I'd like to think of them as one and the same. Um, But uh, pastors generally, the biblical model is uh, is shepherd. Um, They they lead the church, uh, but it's a leadership according to the way of Jesus, so it's about service, Um, it's about humility, it's about laying down their life for the church. Um, And they teach the church, they equip the church. And Paul says that all of these, all of them, are given by Christ himself for the church's benefit. So Christian leadership is important within the church and it's necessary in order to equip the church for the works of service. There's this great line um, from Tim Keller in one of his books. He says this, my dearest friends, actually he says my dear friends, um, most churches make the mistake of selecting as leaders the confident, the competent and the successful. But what you really need most in a leader is someone who has been broken by the knowledge of his or her sin and even greater knowledge of Jesus' costly grace. I love that. That's a, that's a confronting and a very accurate uh, word to us as leaders and to the church. 
You see, our goal is maturity so the church grows and reflects the qualities of the head. And to do this, we need and are given gifts from the ascended Christ, the grace that comes from him, and the gifts of Christian leaders who equip all of us. And our third point is that we as need every part of the body working together. If we're going to grow to maturity, that's what we need. We need all of us working together. And that means every single person, every single one of you has a place in this church, in your local church, to serve one another, to use the gifts that Jesus has given them. Why does Jesus give us the gift of grace and of church leaders? To equip his people for works of service. Every single one has been given a gift for ministry. That's part one. And every church should have Christian leaders to equip us. That's part two. But their job is not to do all the ministry. Their job is to equip the people in the church. Paul says it perfectly. Have a look at verse 16 again. Uh, This is what he says. The church will grow and build itself up in love as each part does its work. It doesn't say the church will grow and build itself up with the great leader that leads them and makes it happen and does it all for them. It doesn't say that we just sit back and receive God's grace and it'll just grow and happen. No, it says the church will grow and build itself up in love as each part, each one of us, does their work, does its work. Well, it's the obvious question. I've asked it before. It's time to think about it again. What's your part in the body of Christ here in the church? A lot of us, um, perhaps, I'd like to suggest don't serve or we're not engaged in, in, in using our gifts and it's because we, we, we go, I don't know what my gift is. I, I don't know. And, and, and we, we look, as we all do, we look at others and go, oh, they're so gifted. Oh, I, can't, I think I could do, oh, there's someone who does it better than me. I can't do that then. You know, it's, we're thinking wrongly, right? We shouldn't be thinking like that. Because you know what's really interesting? You can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says that you're to go on a pursuit or exploration of self-discovery to find out what gifts you have. It just doesn't talk about that. It just says that you do have gifts, that God graces you with them, and it says get on and serve one another. That's, that's what it says. Um, I've been to some of these courses. I've read through the books, and they can be really helpful. I'm not knocking them. They can be very helpful for clarity sometimes and confirmation of what it is you think uh, God might be calling you to. But they can also be incredibly narcissistic sometimes. <laughs> Because, they're about, again, they're about us, right? And our sinful natures get caught up in, oh, oh there you go, I've put myself in that box now, I should really be doing this. Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, let's respond to God's grace. So what are you really good at? Here's a good start. What are you really good at? What do you do that you think is really easy? And you go, that's not a gift. I can do that. That's not even, that's not even difficult. There it is, right? It doesn't have to be hard, it just has to be what God has, how God has naturally wired us, how God has naturally wired you, or what interests he has um, created in you, you know, that you have. So there's a good start. What are you already good at? Um, maybe you're someone who finds it really easy to be hospitable. Maybe you enjoy going to coffee shops. Well, why don't you get intentional about that and go through the directory and just decide to bless a couple of people, get to know some new people, and say, hey, do you want to go catch up for coffee? I know lots of people do that already. Um, maybe you're someone who's just a natural encourager. And uh, I, I get blessed by many people who just have a, a natural gift in encouraging. And I know many of them don't think it's a gift. It certainly is. Um, there are whole lots of different ways that we can serve in small ways that are really meaningful and significant. But it's not about um, searching for our gifts. It's not about a strategic plan or, or some new consultant to get in. Um, the key to our church becoming mature will be actually straightforward, focus on Christ, he's the head, 
He's the one that gives us all we need and has already done it in his grace. Secondly, put leaders in place who don't do all the work, but who equip us as the church and empower others to minister and to serve. And thirdly, as each one of us have received grace that was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ, then get on and serve. Get on and serve and do it with joy. Can I say, you know, if you're in a ministry and you think, I'm really sick of this ministry, it's a source of frustration and I'm on a roster and whatever, you know, that kind of thing, I, I just want to encourage you, it's, that's not going to change, right? We, we need to have structure, right? We need things done. We need faithful people to turn up and do it. It's, it's about our heart attitude, isn't it? And, and I want to encourage us. It's, we live in very difficult times. We're at a very interesting part of time here after these past couple of years. And we've had lots of time to reflect and, and disconnect from church and be a bit from the body and be a bit more isolated and think a bit more. And I want to encourage us. God will give, God will give you that joy in your heart. He'll, he'll restore that, that joy to say, hey, I'm serving my brothers and sisters here doing this. And if I don't do it, who else will? Um, not out of obligation, but out of, out of love and, and desire. So let, let those words be an encouragement or a blessing to you if you need them to be. Well, I know it's going to take every single one of us in this church to continue growing into maturity. And we can't afford for any of us to just sit it out or to say, yeah, I've just had to reprioritise and I was way too busy and now we react and do nothing. Um, we still need to to take on seriously what it is God wants us to do. And I can guarantee that God has each one of you here and has had each one of you here for a purpose and for a reason, to help all of us grow in maturity. As long as any one of us sits it out, it's not likely to happen as God intended it to be. So be encouraged. Can I also just say before we go, we've already gone way over time, so we'll keep going. Um, I just want to encourage you with this, that... Um, we are aware that a lot of significant ministries in our church are no longer happening. And I'm aware of it because, particularly with some of them that have connections with outside groups, I'm getting all the phone calls now from all their leaders going, ah, when can you guys start up this? When can you guys start that up? And, 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 and I really feel for them because they're all ringing, they've got a whole list of churches and then my, my response is exactly the same as every other response and say, you know what, we're just sitting here thankful that we can meet and gather and continue serving and being equipped with one another but um yeah those ministries just aren't resourced as they once were and uh and we're just waiting and can i just encourage you as a church there's actually nothing wrong with that a lot of a lot of pastors have been thinking through this and praying through this and there's nothing actually wrong with that it can be good sometimes for a ministry to finish up to stop sometimes ministries um as i was reminded um uh, barbara fell i think reminded me is a, a church care coordinator um you know sometimes ministries start and and, and they're for a season, and the Lord's blessed a person, called a person, they've started, got a team together, it's happening, and a couple of years later, three, whatever, however long, it's served a purpose. People move away, and that's okay to finish it up. It can be sad, and we need to finish it up well, but it's not wrong that it finishes up. What we don't need is to put people in and make people obliged to fill gaps. And so just be comforted in that. Um, but there is always plenty of untapped potential for new ministries, and the first sign of that is if you feel compelled to share it with one of the church leaders that something needs to be done in this area. You know what I'm going to say? And all of us as church, biblical church leaders, we're going to say, great, let me sit with you and work with you. What's God telling you about your role in this? <laughs> How can we equip you? How can we resource you? How can we pray with you? 
That's what we're here for as church leaders as well. So be encouraged. Keep seeking the Lord in this. Don't fret or feel guilty or obliged. Okay? New things come um, from, um, you know, after a fire goes through, there's new growth, right? There's new blessing. It's darkest before the dawn, you know? There is light. So be encouraged in that. Let me pray for us. Father, um, we want to thank you again for Jesus, the head of this church, the one who ascended, or first of all, who descended, who became one of us as a person, who's lived amongst us and even went down to the, the lowest place of all, to the pit of death. Father, we thank you that by his resurrection, he rose again, he ascended, and you have glorified him and put him on the throne above all other thrones. We thank you that he has graced us as a church with his gifts. Help us to be faithful as leaders, uh, to equip others to do the work of ministry together. And Father, I want to thank you for those who have faithfully served in this church over many years in many ministries. Some of them are no longer running, but they have been faithful people and they continue to be faithful. We thank you even for those whose very presence amongst us, just to be here, is such a blessing and serves us when we see their example of faith and commitment to the local church. pray that you would challenge and encourage those parts of us who perhaps are struggling to find their part and their place. I know for some of us it may be that we don't know where, where we're to begin. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would prompt, that you would guide us, that you would empower us, and you would help uh, those people in that situation to find a way to serve. Father, maybe some of us need to uh, seek your forgiveness um, and, uh, and just recognise that our response to hardship and struggle and challenges, particularly over these past years, has perhaps hardened our hearts a little bit and made us more cynical, more cautious, more sceptical. Father, help us to find the joy again of serving the local body of Christ and to find our place there. And Father, we ask this not for our own sakes, but so that we would reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that we would become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of him. And I pray this in his name. Amen.